Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringer's gambling podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta, and they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's make-believe casino where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at TheRinger.com. And joining me, threatening to re-enter the field of play in his underpants, is staff writer Ben Lindbergh. Ben. Hi. How are you? I'm like the Astros. I am ailing, my friend. My wife (laughs) went out of town and stayed in a house with a small child and has brought me his illness across state lines. So Yeah, we both have caught a case of the postseason sniffles here, even though we have not come into contact. But it's these late nights and long games and recaps and podcasts. It'll do it to you. I wonder, I think this this cold has sort of brought me down from my normal alto two back into the tenor range. (laughs) I was talking to somebody who was... Uh, over over the weekend, who was uh, said he was a, a fan of the podcast, but he felt the combination of our voices was difficult to listen to. Apparently, mm. you need at least one baritone on on a podcast to huh. to make that happen. So, All right, so we have to keep you permanently ill. I've yeah, I've got to be, but I'm I'm gutting through it like Steven Strasberg, and <laughs> I am I am taking in fluids and tea and lots of coheed and cambria. So I am full of energy. All right. So we will need it to get through this episode because we have a lot of playoff baseball to talk about. And the last time we convened to discuss baseball, both series were 2 nothing. They looked in over. In favor of, at the time, the Dodgers and the Astros. And yeah, so five games have been played since then. And one of those series, the Dodgers Cup series, the Dodgers are still clearly in command. But we talked last time about which series would be more likely to lead to a comeback. And we have indeed had that comeback. And we, we called the Yankees as the most likely team to come back, right? And that But not has for these reasons. I thought, you know, what yeah. I said was I thought that the Astros were the better team, but that the Yankees would have an easier had an easier set of starting pitchers to come back against. Right. And in game three, Charlie Morton gave up a ton of runs, but you just I mean, just watching that game, he didn't give up any hard contact. Even though no. even the home run was kind of a, a pop fly on an awkward swing that, that carried. And it was just bloopers and slow rollers and swinging mm-hmm. bunts that stayed stayed in fair territory and Cameron Mabin like getting his Xbox controller unplugged. Yeah. Um so yeah, he was really hard done by. And Lance McCullers in game four was awesome. He it was, was great. Yeah. yeah, like one of the best pitching performances of the, of the postseason and the bullpen just melted down. So I think like I've I've criticized A.J. Hinch for leaning on Justin Verlander too heavily, both in the division series. And then, uh, you know, what I thought was taking him a risk or taking a risk, sending him back out for the ninth in game two. And man, he knew something about his bullpen that I didn't because I was looking at yeah. how well Musgrove pitched down the stretch at Davinsky and Giles and Will Harris, and they just they haven't been able to buy an out. Yeah, that's kind of a common theme to both of these championship series because there are two teams that are clearly bullpen haves right now and two that are bullpen have-nots. And the managers of the have-nots have been criticized for how they've used their bullpens or not using their bullpens, but it's kind of hard to blame them based on the results that they've gotten when they have gone to the pen. So we will focus a little later on the Cubs-Dodgers series, which is now 3-1 in favor of of Los Angeles. But before we get to that, and also to a piece you wrote about managers and the mistakes they've made this postseason and whether the way that postseason pitcher usage has evolved very rapidly has placed new demands on managers. Some of them have coped better than others. Let's talk first about the 
Astros and Yankees series. I've been at the last couple of games in Yankee Stadium and Yankees have yet to lose a playoff game at home this year. And it's been impressive to watch because they've done it not just with the unhittable bullpen, which we knew they had and they've continued to have, but they've really been firing on all cylinders here. And their lineup has out Astros the Astros, really, in that in the first couple games of the series in Houston, the Astros had, I think, a 27 to 9 strikeout advantage with the Yankees with the much higher strikeout total. And in these New York games, the Yankees have actually made more contact, even though the Astros are the contact team. And it's been the lineup. It's been the bullpen. It's been the starting rotation. And whether it was CeCe Sabathia, Sonny Gray, or most recently, Masahiro Tanaka, who had yet another strong start, Yankees have kind of made a case for their rotation, which in retrospect, I mean, Looking at how they performed down the stretch in the second half, we were all fixated on their bullpen, and for good reason. Their bullpen had the highest wins above replacement of any team in the second half after they restocked it. But their starting rotation ranked third in wins above replacement and only behind the Indians and the Diamondbacks, who are now eliminated from the playoffs. So after they bolstered their rotation with Sonny Gray at the deadline, it's been a pretty strong unit. And maybe it's not quite as impressive at the top as Keuchel and Verlander or Kershaw and Hill when those guys are going well, but it's solid. And we forecasted that advantage kind of in the underbelly of these respective rotations. And as you mentioned, that disparity in the pitching performances hasn't been that extreme, but the results have. Yeah. And uh, Masahiro Tanaka in particular, I mean, just some of the, yeah. the, the sinker when, when it's on, you understand why the Yankees paid all that money all that money for him. I mean, and this is his third outstanding start uh, in the playoffs. He's been, you know, you look at Verlander, you look at Strasburg and his two great starts in the division series. I don't know. Tanaka might be the best, best starter of these playoffs so far. And it's been Mm -hmm. a a big deal because there was a, uh, an FX comedy called Man Seeking Woman that was short lived, but I was fond of it. And there was a, a character on it named Tanaka. And I've enjoyed sending pictures of Tanaka to other baseball writers throughout these playoffs. And it looks like we're going to get to I'm going to get to do that for another round. I haven't gotten any of those. I've insulted. Uh, well, do you want to see it? I'll, I'll send it to you right now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. But yeah, he has been really impressive. And it's not just the sinker. He's he's actually been throwing fewer sinkers as the season has gone on. But the splitter, the slider, he's just had it all working. Everything was down. Everything was down for Dallas Keuchel, too. But the Yankees actually managed to hit some of his pitches the second time around. And his pitches were sort of in the lower half of the zone instead of below the lower half of the zone. And that made all the difference. So, I mean, going back to game three, this was coming off of the brilliant starts by Keuchel and Verlander. And as you mentioned, Morton just got bleeped and blooped and babbipped to death. And CeCe Sabathia was great. And that was kind of the beginning of the judge renaissance. And in that game, of course, right after you wrote your story about how Aaron Judge was not hitting and why. Glad I got it in when I did. I said, I said he was hitting better against the Astros. Like, you know, the strikeout rate was down and and he's about to come out of it. So, you know, I'm taking (laughs) a victory lap on that no matter what. Yeah, we've both been there this season. I wrote my story about Judge's second half slump immediately before he just had an incredible September. So I think the lesson here is just not to count out Aaron Judge. He's a really good player. And he or hit to a count out homer. Aaron Judge, but know that when you do, it's that's when he's gonna <laughs> right. start yes. hitting. He hit a three run homer in game three. That was just off a fastball, and he still hadn't really defeated the Astros game plan and really the whole postseason game plan, which is pitches low and away, lots of breaking balls and sliders. And then in game four, he finally got the best of of that strategy too. And McCullers kind of hung a curveball to him, the only pitch and first pitch he threw in the seventh inning. Maybe McCullers shouldn't have been left out there for the seventh inning. I think people are often critical of when judging judging by what happened as soon as he got taken out. Are you really (laughs) going to choose that hill to die on right now? Yeah, I mean that. But it's also I think when he was never going to get a full inning in there. And I think that 
Davinsky was always going to come in for the lefty. So there's this common criticism that if you know that you're going to bring a reliever in anyway in the middle of an inning, why not just start the inning with him? Well, I, think I wonder cases where it makes sense to eke an extra out after out of your starter if there's a favorable matchup to lead off an inning. But McCullers has had a lot of issues going through the order three times in this yeah. entire season. So anyway, that was not the killing blow. What I'd counter that with is you want Davinsky in for the lefties, but Davinsky's uh, top off-speed pitch is a changeup, which is the mm-hmm. pitch that judges hit best and McCullers is best. Uh, off-speed pitches, the knuckle curve, which has been flummoxing Judge all all postseason. So I think mm-hmm. I still think even getting a third look at him um, mm-hmm. that might have been a better matchup. So I understand leaving the colors in. I think he would have come out after that, no matter what. But yeah, I you know I think that was purposeful that that uh, that McCullers got to face Judge a, a third time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that only made it what four one I think at the time. So yeah, the the comeback really. From four nothing to six four, which was the final score, it was a, a group effort, but it involved Judge again with uh, another big hit, a double off the wall, and this one was off a, a slider that was intended to be low and away. Maybe it got more of the plate than it was supposed to, but that had been his bugaboo all October, and he showed that he could hit it. And Gary Sanchez had the big double that scored the two winning runs, and so. I think that kind of established, okay, that Judge and Sanchez are are back. And that continued in game five as Sanchez homered again, had another run scoring hit, as did Judge. And Tanaka was great. And I mean, the Astros lineup has just gone completely silent. I think they are now batting 147 on the series without a whole lot of like patience or, or power to go with mm-hmm. it. And I mean, I it's pick your, pick your staff for the last time this lineup scored, you know, X few runs in yeah, Y games. I can give you yeah. that stat. Yeah. So they've scored nine runs in five games in this series, which ties their lowest output over any five game stretch of the regular season. And this happened to them just about a month ago, a little more than a month ago, mid September, they scored nine runs over five games. And in that case, it was against the A's and the Angels and a bunch of nondescript pitchers for the most part. And so, you know, I I think we can potentially make too much of the postseason spotlight and clutchness and pressure and Yankee Stadium atmosphere and all of that. I'm not saying it doesn't play a role or that advanced scouting can't play a role, but the Astros did essentially the, the same thing. Pressure didn't seem to get to them through the, sure. the first six right. games. And, you know, exactly. Fenway didn't scare them at all. Right. So. And, and the Astros just had a power outage like this a, a little more than a month ago. And at that time, no one really noticed because they had a double digit lead in the division and they were just playing for home field advantage. And when it happens in the ALCS, obviously, it's a lot harder to overlook. So... I think October just comes down to timing and things that we don't make much of in the regular season. We make very much of in the postseason for good reason, because the whole thing is small samples. So this is obviously terrible timing for the Astros bats to have this power outage. But the Yankees deserve credit, too, because this is a really good pitching team. And this will happen in October from time to time. The thing is that the Astros, in theory, should be maybe less susceptible to just a complete zero like this, just because they do put the ball in play. They're less of an all or nothing team in theory. And so when the Yankees aren't hitting, they look really, really bad because they are just whiffing and racking up. Yeah. yeah. And the Astros are not supposed to be that way, but they kind of have been that way because the Yankees pitching has just been overpowering in the last three games of the series. Yeah. What's fascinating to me, because I mean, to, to a certain extent, you diagnose what the Astros are doing. And if it's, you know, anything in this small sample size, unless it's it's one plus, you know, unless it's something like Judge over the over the division series in the first two games of the of the championship series, where it's one player and it's a very specific game plan and a very yeah. specific reason why why he's struggling. It, at some point, you just have to throw up your hands and say, like, I don't know, it's baseball's hard, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I probably did a little bit of that, and I definitely did that in the Judge piece and in the in the manager's piece, and but. 
sort of absent a smoking gun, what I'm left with is just how entirely that uh, that seventh and eighth inning rally that the Yankees put on changed the tenor of this series. Like I, in in the span of about an hour, I went from absolutely 100 percent certain the, the Astros were going to win this series to absolutely 100 percent certain the Yankees were going to win this series. Mm-hmm. And I know that you were on Twitter earlier today, poo pooing the <laughs> the notion of momentum, and maybe like I, I like I'm realizing that this is happening to me that I'm just sort of fixating on the last game that I saw no matter what mm-hmm. but like I, I'm curious if if being there you sort of felt that you know I'm you know what I'm just gonna say it <laughs> if you felt that momentum change uh-huh. you know while you're while you're watching the game yeah I think I feel it the same way that anyone feels it I just totally distrust the feeling <laughs> so I think it seems to me and and I've seen other writers point this out that Yankee Stadium just seems a lot louder than I remember this incarnation of the stadium being. And I don't know why that is. We've seen postseason games at the stadium before. We've seen sellouts. When did they open this one? What was it, 2009? I mean, they won a World Series at this stadium. Okay. Yeah. I, I and didn't know if it was so new that like they had just had the, yeah. the death you know, death rattle of the A-Rod era and that right, one the, wild the, card The Keiko game, game but, where they got shut down. Yeah, yeah I, I just, I don't know... Why it seems so much louder, I don't know whether there's something structurally different about the stadium that I haven't noticed. I mean, I think the sound just in the past hasn't been as overwhelming just because of the way the stadium is constructed and it's more recessed and, you know, to allow more luxury boxes, new stadiums, new ballparks tend to have these upper decks that are farther away from the field, which, yeah, yeah the the soulless capitalist yes, class and, is, is making up the crowd in this instead of the the passionate right. uh, proletariat. Yeah, and uh, there, there That's what you get when tickets are seven hundred and forty dollars. Yeah, there a is pop. some truth to that, definitely about the new Yankee Stadium and and growing up going to games at the old or you know medium Yankee Stadium where the upper deck were just great seats. I used to get seats right behind home plate in the upper deck and it was the perfect view and you felt like you were hanging over the field and you could still see everything. It doesn't really feel that way in the new stadium and so I, I don't get the sense that the acoustics are as good, but for whatever reason, and uh, the team and Girardi has been commenting on this in seemingly every post-game press conference, it just seems loud. And I don't know whether people are just more into this incarnation of the team with Judge and Sanchez and all of these young up-and-coming players. I mean, this feels like the beginning of something, whereas the 2012 team, 2015 team, they made the playoffs, but they felt, as you were alluding to earlier, like the end of something, the last gasp of an earlier era. So maybe it's just that, but you do feel it, I think. But again, every time we come back to momentum and it happens so often in the postseason, and there have been various studies that have shown that there doesn't seem to be much to this. And I, I hate to completely dismiss the the feelings of people who have actually been there on the field and experienced this. But and I, I showed I did a, a Google Trends search earlier and showed that the mentions of MLB and momentum just spike very reliably every October as we start explaining the results of these postseason series because of momentum. But if momentum mattered that much, we wouldn't have comebacks, right? We wouldn't be talking about the Yankees even competing in this series because the Astros had all the momentum after they took the lead in this series. And the Indians had the momentum after they took the lead in the ALDS. And the Twins had the momentum after they took the lead at the very beginning of the AL wildcard game. So to me, momentum is fickle and I don't trust it. And the Astros are going back now to Houston and they'll have Verlander in game six. And I saw an MLB.com stat that teams in this situation down 3-2 or 2-3, however you want to say it, and going back to their home park for the final two games are something like 13 for 27 in in championship series history, or which is not really? bad at all. That's a yeah, surprising. It's a pretty yeah. good success rate, almost a, a coin flip, really. So the Astros are yeah. definitely not out of this thing uh, by any stretch. Well, you know, I'm only being so serious about momentum. I think it's more useful... As a concept, you know, you're looking back on something that's already happened and trying to, you know, trying to form a narrative about it. And this is 
important not only from the sense that you and I are storytellers, you know, and we're chronicling real live events over which we have no control, but we're still putting together characters and plot in, you know, in a very real sense when we're writing about a game. But it also that the human brain is, you know, taught to or is designed to pick up patterns and all that nonsense. And, you know, this so like, we're you know, we're looking for 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 a turning point, essentially, in in this story. And I think that, you know, you can go back and look at at when, you know, when that turning point was in any series that wasn't just a complete walkover. But what, you know, it this just struck it stuck out to me is as one, it it felt like such a huge crushing emotional blow, them them blowing that lead, that you could sort of see that narrative taking shape, even though the Yankees weren't even up in the series at, at the time. And two, the just the path that the Astros would have to take to uh, to come back is just so difficult. If there's only two or three pitchers that AJ yeah. Hinch trusts right now. Yeah, it's hard to blame him for not having much faith after the way this pen has performed. And it's a good bullpen, <laughs> which I mean, it's not an awesome bullpen, but like you'd expect, you know, you'd expect those guys to to get what, you know, uh, nine outs without <laughs> yeah. allowing four runs. <laughs> like you'd expect yeah. that of almost any bullpen in baseball in most cases. But I think uh, the guys who are actually on this roster who were in the penalty year were largely very effective and they haven't been in the playoffs. They were like something like 10th in the American league in ERA. And that doesn't account. Well, Minute Maid played mm-hmm. neutral to pitcher friendly this year. Like you said last week, a lot of that is guys like Tony Sick yeah, who aren't right. on the roster at all, or guys like Luke Gregerson or Francisco Liriano who aren't getting Tyler Clipper. You know, who, yeah. Well, Luke Gregerson pitched, but like those aren't, you know, it's th- those four guys, Musgrove, Harris, Giles and Davinsky, like those four yep. were really good this year. And, you know, not like last year's Indians good, but trustworthy in any sort of normal circumstances, which I mean, it's just it's absolutely shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can only imagine how many pitches Justin Verlander is going to throw in game six, because I just I can't see I can't see Hinch wanting to go to anyone else at this point. <laughs> yeah, that that road back starts with at least eight innings from Justin. Verlander. Yeah. Uh, right on Friday. Yeah, so. I don't, I don't want to say there is one blueprint that the Astros absolutely have to follow because we've seen plenty of times this postseason. What do you say? Yeah, you know, <laughs> who knows? Severino's right. Gonna who, who knows? Meltdown or something like that. That's always yeah. Possible. But I I would agree. I think the Astros uh, the likelihood here that Verlander goes deep in this game following the 124 pitch performance in game two. I I, I would expect more of the same here, or else the Astros with are in an trouble. extra day's rest right. too, which is important. Yeah. And I mean, the Astros got, again, the the McCullers start essentially his first good start since mid-June or so. I mean, they had no right, right. to expect that. Was, that. that was such a gift. Like, like, I was so, like, that was, that was the one game that, that I don't know that they really had a, a plan mm-hmm. and just getting six those six innings from McCullers was just such an incredible yeah. gift. And I, you know, just blowing yeah. that, like you can't afford yeah. to do that. Not against the team that hits right. like people this. were saying they should start McHugh, they should start Peacock, they should start anyone, but McHugh was really yes, good was. in mop up yeah. duty in game three, right. by the way. Yeah. So uh, I, they got a gift, as you're saying, with McCullers and they just couldn't capitalize <laughs> it and, and it, on it. And it's just timely hitting by the Yankees lineup and just good pitching all the way down. I mean, there's there there haven't been all that many controversial managerial moves in the last few games of this series. It's just kind of come down to the players, which is somewhat refreshing. You have... Yeah, it's cool. That's yeah, the way it ought to be. I mean, it, Judge and, and Sanchez have been great, and the non-Altuve-Correa portions of the Astros lineup haven't, and even they haven't been great in, in the last o- few games. Altuve went over New York, uh, didn't he? Possibly, yeah. Neither of them did a, a whole lot, and I mean, you know, you, you're not going to hit 147 for the series as a team and have anyone doing a whole lot, so... 
that's what it comes yeah. down to. And and really, I mean, I, obviously, I think the Yankees are likelier to win one game than the Astros are to win two. But I, I don't think the difference is that huge here. And I mean, after the Astros had their five-game slump in September where they scored nine runs, they then scored five runs, five runs, and then I think eight runs and seven runs. They, they finished the season from that point forward averaging more runs per game than they had averaged before that slump. So it's not like this necessarily has any lasting effect and it's very likely. I'm, I'm glad you've got that take. So, so it frees me up to overreact wildly to everything. It's, I, Really good yeah, place. Well, I assume that you will be in attendance on Friday in Houston with your finger on the momentum pulse from from moment to moment, reporting yep, <laughs> who has it and, and how how strong. Feeling that throbbing momentum. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you updates. Please do. Yeah, every inning. Make it like a like a debate where they show the live feedback poll from people in the audience. Give me your your live just pulse. Oh, what is it? The the dial groups. Right. Yeah. Let's see. Well, let's I see call that. the office and see if they can <laughs> get me hooked up with one of those for, for Friday night. Yeah. Uh, before we leave this series and move over to the National mm-hmm. League, I'm not sure that I could ever forgive myself if we didn't at least talk about the Aaron Judge, not <laughs> quite double play, not quite appeal, not quite review <laughs> yeah. from game four. I've been an avid baseball fan since I was five years old, and I have never seen anything quite like <laughs> yeah. this. Well, it wouldn't have been possible to see anything like this before. I guess that's ago, true. Before the replay system. But yeah, do you want to summarize what happened here? It's hard even to summarize what happened here because it was so wacky. So there's, there's one out in game four, and I forget what inning it is. It's couldn't possibly matter less because this play wound up having zero impact on the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So there's a a short fly ball out to right field and judges going on. He's going forward. He goes around second base. Josh Reddick makes the catch, but he's, he sees the judges. He's got a long way to go to get back to first. And uh, so Reddick throws, but his, he's running the wrong way. So the, momentum to bring back that mm-hmm. word this kind of momentum i believe that you know you would actually acknowledge the existence of uh leads him to sort of lob and roll the ball back to first base and judge actually barely beats the throw mm-hmm. so he was called out originally correct and then yes and then the yankees reviewed it he beat the throw he beat the tag and then it becomes clear on replay that in so when you tag up from more than one base mm-hmm. uh, from where you started, you have to touch all the bases in order. So he touched second base going past it, but didn't touch second base coming back. Right. And, and the replay was on the big board. Right. At and Stadium during the review, the, yeah, the yeah. AJ Hinch became aware of this. So as they're sorting out the Joe Girardi uh, challenge, he's standing on the, the top step of the dugout uh, with his hands in his pockets, with a smile on his face. It makes me look, makes him look like my cat after he caught a lizard. <laughs> and so like he go like the, the Astros cannot wait to appeal to second base. And then they find out that Greg bird has to be in the box uh, before they could throw to second base to get judge. And so in between when Bird gets in the box and when Lance McCullers steps off the rubber to throw to second, uh, so I believe it was Girardi tells Judge to go, just try to run. And I guess to if he steals the base, then that counts as a play and the yes. Astros <laughs> and lose the their Astros opportunity. Yeah. So McCullers... <laughs> throw is like sort of rushed and he draws Carlos Correa off the bag and he just barely tags <laughs> tags judge so this double yeah. what should have been a double play was a fly out and then a pick off caught stealing which I can't imagine what would have happened if judge had actually gotten in there because that was a close play too it was yeah I thought we were going to get another replay review maybe of of that being overturned on that call, which would have been even crazier. So replay review is I'm out on replay review after like a mil like what it's used for is the Jose Lobatone. Yeah. I'm uh, out on that specific and usage of it. I am I'm in on it generally. I'd rather get the calls wrong than have to suffer <laughs> through that not. at this point in time. Okay. So I'm out on replay review except for that. That specific <laughs> instance we're allowed to 
we're allowed to review yeah. players. All right. Well, the Yankees have. It's it yeah. was and it was not the weirdest thing that happened in baseball and we'll, uh, that night. That's so true. we'll 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 talk about that on the other side yeah. of the break. Yeah. So the Yankees have earned this. They they beat the Yankee killer Dallas Keuchel, who came into Game Five with a. A what a 1.08 ERA Keuchel had against the Yankees in eight starts before Game Five. Oh, you might not have seen this. Fox showed a, a graphic of the lowest ERA in postseason hit, career postseason ERA by a starter, uh-huh. and at some point in the game, Keuchel passed Blue Moon Odom, oh, and then he gave him. up four runs, and so now Blue Moon Odom <laughs> is once again the the postseason ERA starting pitching king. <laughs> well, last thought here, I, I'm taking the temperature of the denizens of the ringer MLB slack channel which has a few yankees haters it must be admitted on that channel and a few yankee fans yeah oh so. definitely and there are yeah, of course hiring roger sherman was a huge <laughs> there are many yankees haters in any randomly selected nationwide group of baseball fans anyway it seems as if even those Yankees haters are kind of coming around on this Yankees team. And nah, this is, I don't know how they've this is managed the most, it. This is the single most troubling thing about <laughs> I might yell about okay, this, actually. Because the Yankees, I mean, they came in technically, I suppose, as an underdog in this series and that the Astros were favored to win, although it feels very strange to ever count the Yankees as an underdog, particularly in the series where they're going off, uh, going against the franchise with one pennant and the Yankees have 40. So just based on that, you would think the Astros are the much more sympathetic team here. Oh my God. (laughs) It's crazy. Doesn't that sound so profane? It does. Like, (laughs) oh, and yet... This Yankee team, I mean, you got to hand it to them. They are now they're less plucky underdogs than the, the typical biggest Yankees baseball team. team ever assembled, the Yankees. So mute this. Fast forward about five minutes if you're listening with, with your kids in your car. Um, so this plucky Yankee likable nonsense has been going around for a couple weeks now. Mm-hmm. And I just, how do we not know better in Trump's America than to tempt fate like this? Because you know what exactly what's going to happen if this team wins the pennant with the best farm system in baseball? It's going to be the 90s again. Oh, yeah. We're going to get fawning, you know, Aaron Judge is going to be Derek Jeter, but bigger. And he's just, he's just as bland and boring. Like, I'm, and to say nothing of, he is the avatar for the three true outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm good at baseball because I'm big. Like, if you if you have any interest in the the kind of baseball that involves you know hitting the ball and running instead of as Bill James put it, <laughs> swinging for the fences and walking, you like me would find Aaron Judge's style of play offensive. But you know, this Greg Bird was hurt, and Severino's cool, and Tanaka's cool, and and Gary Sanchez mm-hmm. has a lot of power for a catcher, and you know he's he's got a great throwing arm, and Arthur. They do cool interviews in the dugout. Mm-hmm. This is a team with a facial hair band. How cool can they possibly be? <laughs> they are literally the evil empire. Can't blame the players for they're, that. They're none. That's, and a, that's handed down from on high. You can, you yeah, can still hate the Steinbrenners, so, I guess. But the whole, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody likes the Steinbrenners, <laughs> including, uh, including Yankee fans. But it, like. These are the Yankees. And just because these guys are relatively young and you, you know, you're not sick of them yet. This team is so close to being dominant in the American League for the next five to 10 years that if you flirt with, oh, these Yankees are likable. I remember thinking that myself in 1996. I was like, oh, I love Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit's mm-hmm. cool. And Mariano Rivera. Oh, my God. What an awesome relief pitcher. You know, I've never. I, he's he's incredible. Yeah. And you know, the Yankees hadn't won anything in a while back then. And I said, you know what? I like this Yankees team. And you know what happened for the next <laughs> 10 years? The Yankees fucking ruined baseball. This, And it's going to happen again. And so just don't let your guard down. Like, it's not OK to like this Yankees team if you're a neutral fan. I'm bringing down that that ruling and offer, you know, if, if we get letters from Yankee fans, I don't care. Like you're Yankees fans. We don't need to pay attention to, to, you know, your feelings. This is nonsense. Go enjoy your 40 pennants. Oh, my God. 40 pennants, Ben. <laughs> if we get letters, I'll be very excited. I, I believe we have not yet received a single letter through the mail to the Ringer MLB show. But please, I welcome yeah. that. 
I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. people saw this coming from with the Cubs last season too, right? You, like, you couldn't, if you were a neutral fan, you couldn't really not root against the Cubs with the story they had and the young players they had. But you knew. But you know what happened with the Red yeah, Sox. I mean, it and the same thing team. happened. And now what's happening now with this Yankees team is worse. <laughs> it's like, this is an, an existential threat to... to I oh think the good news... Don't just don't. You should know. We should know better. Baseball has changed, I think, in a way that makes it very difficult for another. Oh, has it changed so much that it's okay for (laughs) to consider the Yankees the plucky underdogs? Ben, maybe it is. is. I think the Yankees will probably make the playoffs every year for the next ten years. Who knows? And yes, people will be sick of them again. But I don't think they can do what the '90s and early 2000s Yankees did. I mean that. The whole system we have now, in part, was erected as a, a buttress against teams being able to do that. And with the expansion of the playoff field and everything, they're going to get there every year, just like the Dodgers have gotten there every year. But they're not going to win every year. And so maybe that helps a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. People will still hate Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and all of these people three years from now. But for now, got to admit, they're kind of fun. Every good story, we talked about baseball being a story. Every good story needs a good villain, and there is no better villain than the Yankees, which, you know, maybe in some respect, it's baseball is better when the Yankees are good, which I personally think to be a bunch of self-serving New York (laughs) bullshit. But I forget when this came up. They were talking about how the Yankees want to get under Mm -hmm. the luxury tax. And I said something along the lines of it's it's offensive, the idea of having the Yankees and then you know, not spending over the tax. And then someone wrote back, yeah, you know, it's so they can get under the tax so they can go over it the Mm -hmm. next three or four years when they sign (laughs) Harper and Machado. And the life drained from from my eyes at that moment. Like, this is going to happen. They're going to bring up, you know, their their outrageous farm system. You know, they're going to bring up uh, Glaber Torres and then they're going to sign Harper and they're going to sign Machado and they're going to make Harper cut his majestic beard off because they think because the name on the front of the jersey is so important, we don't even put the name on the back. 1934-ass conception of teamwork bullshit no like but it's gonna happen because because we let our guard down for one moment and let these yankees into our hearts and we're gonna pay for it for a decade all right well if the yankees do have a rival in villainy it's the los angeles dodgers we'll be back to talk about them and also postseason managers in just a moment Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to tell you about House of Carbs, hosted by one of my best friends, Joe House. I've known him since 1988, and the entire time I've known him, he's been very, very hungry. And now he has a chance to host a podcast about being hungry, all the things that make him hungry, the food that he loves. It is a podcast by the hungry, for the hungry. And it's not your typical foofy food podcast where they're talking about foie gras and all that stuff. No, no. We're talking about diners. We're talking about fried chicken sandwiches, pizza slices, best Chinese food. Everything you, everything you talk about with food is on this podcast and with great guests like David Chang, uh, Chris Bianco, Jimmy Kimmel, a bunch of people coming up. All of them love food. Nobody loves food quite as much as Joe House. But listen... Check this out. Subscribe right now to House of Carbs, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So I said that Aaron Judge's base running adventure was not the weirdest thing to happen in baseball on Tuesday. And uh, it was beaten some, some hours later by the Los Angeles Dodgers, their manager, Dave Roberts, uh, up 3-1 in the sixth inning, bases loaded, two outs sends you Darvish, who had been pitching pretty well, to bat. When Darvish making an out, which was the, by orders of magnitude, the most likely outcome, mm-hmm. that would end an inning and end the Dodgers' best chance to really break that game open and put it to bed. And Darvish drew a four-pitch walk yes. off uh, off Carl Edwards Jr., who uh, I warned you about men coming in, you know, him coming in with men on base. But the craziest thing about this is... Like the first three pitches weren't even remotely close. Mm-hmm. Like after ball two, I was like, oh my God, he's going to walk it. Mm-hmm. So I just, it was, it was beautiful. I, you know, they should have sent a poet. <laughs> it was, it was, it was great. 
It was one of the highlights of this postseason so far. I think you Darvish is just generally fun no matter what he's doing. But that was, I mean, I think it was crazy that he was up there hitting at all. I think Roberts was trying to get one more inning out of him, but I, I don't think it really made sense to have him try to do that. He's essentially an offensive zero, and that was a big spot. But yeah, it's, it's <laughs> tur- yeah, you, you know, you can find that inning somewhere in that bullpen yeah, right. a lot easier than you can find an opportunity to send Austin Barnes up there. Yeah. And or whoever was, no, Barnes started, uh, you know, whoever you want to send up there with him, you know, when, when a hit means two runs right. and, and, uh, and out means ending the rally. I am very glad that Roberts made that decision, which I would consider ill-advised because it gave us that moment. And I think Jeff Sullivan may have pointed this out. Usually when we say that someone walked, it's, it's almost a, a passive activity. I mean, we do say drew a walk or took a walk, but it's, it's often as if we're thinking, well, he stood there and the pitcher couldn't throw strikes. In this case, Certainly Edwards couldn't throw strikes, but Darvish really was drawing and taking. He was, I mean, crowded up against the plate. He was faking bunt and then not faking bunt and faking swinging away. Essentially, he kept getting closer and closer, dropping his hands into the strike zone. It was like pure psychological warfare in a way that you don't really see at the major league level. And Edwards just seemed totally psyched out and he was taking a lot off his pitches, which maybe you kind of do against the opposing pitcher anyway. But in this case, it seemed like he was really trying to steer those pitches into the strike zone. And there were like three mound conferences during this plate appearance, which couldn't have helped. Yeah, this this series, by the way, is setting. It's going to set a record for mound visits. I've seen more Chris Bosio than I've seen. Yeah. Than I care to see in my entire life. Yeah, please, Um, guys, talk in the dugout before you go out there. Spare us all. Yeah, or you know, like get flags or something. (laughs) Come up with those those big uh, those big posters that college football teams have on the sideline now. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, I I don't know that Wade Davis fouling off five straight pitches uh, in Game Five equals that. Although that was certainly. Uh, a pitcher hitting feet all on its own made more special by the fact that, of course, Wade Davis is a relief pitcher and not expected to hit uh, while Darvish, you know, usually mm-hmm. gets up at least once during a game. Um, yeah, it's that sort of struck me as just Dave Roberts is on that kind of hot streak right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, where, you know, he's just getting all the roles. And I know, you know, I know they lost game four, but I still think that, you know, if I'm OK eating this take if we wind up having to record on on Sunday night after the the Cubs coming back from three nothing down uh but yeah they've got this series in the bag and I think in large part because just stuff like that is I mean they've pitched well they've hit very very well but also they're getting breaks and they're getting breaks like you Darvish drawing a walk with the bases loaded mm-hmm. yeah I mean the Dodgers have just out played the Cubs completely here and obviously if the Cubs come back they will not be the first Theo Epstein team to come back from that deficit but they will be the second team ever I guess to have done so so it remains very unlikely but Jake Arrieta was good not the old Arietta or anything I think that guy is gone but he was effective enough, kind of effectively wild, I suppose, in that he walked a lot of guys. But that's what he does these days. And if that is his last start of the season and potentially his Cubs career, his free agency is going to be pretty fascinating. I have no idea what he's going to command. No. <laughs> it's, it could go either way. I could see a big yeah, long-term I think, I mean, deal. He's going see... to winner's curse himself into a nine-figure deal. I just yeah. don't, you know, I have no idea if I were a general manager what I personally would offer him. Right, yeah, that is It's really hard to appraise him right now. But anyway... We were just noticing before we started recording, much to our surprise, that the Cubs have scored 100% of their runs in this series on homers, which 
can be a good thing, potentially, maybe if you hit a lot of homers, but they haven't hit enough home runs for that to be a good thing. And uh, they colleague... hit enough home runs, but it's, yeah, it's mostly except for shots. one, they've all been solo. Right. Yeah. yeah. If, you know, if these come with men on base, then it, maybe this is a different series. Yep. And our colleague, Zach Cran, wrote for The Ringer this week about how the Cubs were off to a historically bad start offensively for a postseason team and squeaking across three runs on three homers in this uh, latest game. Game five didn't really change that all that much, or game four, rather. This series is, is one behind. But, you know, they've been struggling plenty, just like the Astros have. I don't know that I'd call that Wilson Contreras home run squeaking anything. Oh, well, no, that was <laughs> that was monumental. I forgive him for, let's say, three of his unnecessary mound visits because of that one home run that traveled close to 500 feet. He could have snuck in another mound visit in the time that, that ball took to travel from ground to sky to ground again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers, I think, are just reminding us how good they are. And they showed us that for most of the season, we kind of forgot it during their really strange slump. And they bounced back from that. They've been just fine in the postseason and rolled over the Diamondbacks and have, for the most part, rolled over the Cubs. And I mean, if the Cubs lose and, you know, we haven't gotten to play our project runway Heidi Klum clip. We missed the Nationals episode. last week, didn't we? I, I think we played it. I oh, think did we? we did. Okay. Yeah, and we don't get to play it this time because no new teams eliminated, but Thanks, if the Jake. Cubs do lose this series, I think they will be back next year. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a third consecutive Dodgers-Cubs NLCS. I, I don't think either of these teams is going anywhere anytime soon, but in this particular series, the Dodgers have just outplayed the Cubs in pretty much every respect. And, and Justin Turner has just been an amazing postseason hitter this year and in previous years. And yes, he'll be has been a ton of fun. The Dodgers bullpen has been almost Yankees bullpen esque in stark contrast to the Astros and the Cubs and, and the starting pitching has been good enough to get by. So it's, uh, it's just, I mean, we're in line now for, Potentially two teams that are playing really, really well in these playoffs to face off against each other next week. I don't know that there's anything more to it than that. Just the dub, the the Dodgers have sort of out, outplayed the, the Cubs in every facet of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not to say there have been individual moments of controversy. For instance, this comes courtesy of uh, Jacob Pomeranke, who uh, is a baseball historian, You know, does a lot of work for Sabre. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that Joe Madden is the... Uh, the first person to be tossed from two games in the same postseason series. Yes. So that's especially impressive in the replay review era where there may be fewer reasons to get ejected than there used to be. Yeah. And I mean, neither the the calls were strictly speaking replay calls. I mean, the the Contreras leg block and, uh, you know, that was sort of a it was a judgment call for interference and the inexplicable uh, Curtis Granderson foul ball call yeah. in game four. I mean, that was, he, he came out of the, um, came out of the dugout, you know, one of the first two words he said upon reaching the, the playing field was the F word. Mm-hmm. So, and, and rightly so, because that, that wasn't even close to a foul ball no, and it was overturned after, after great, uh, you know, great discussion and consternation between the umpires and Madden was talking in the, and this was what I alluded to in the intro. He said he was going to come if, if Granderson had, had homered uh, in that, in that at bat, then Madden would have come back out on the field in his jock strap. You know, that's worth getting, you know, butt naked angry about. Mm-hmm. Imagine that call being the the, the final nail in your coffin. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately for, I think, everybody involved, just like the judge thing, you know, Granderson can't hit the broad side of a barn right now. And by the dictum of ball don't lie, he struck out on the next pitch anyway. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I thought the Contreras call was the correct one, but... I think so, too. Yeah. But I... Yeah, you know, I th- we talked about mm-hmm. this. Like, it's the correct call, but Madden, you know, it's sort of the manager's job to to get thrown out there. Which baseball's weird <laughs> that we just sort of talk about. You know, it's it's your job to, even though you're wrong, to argue so much you get thrown out of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine any other line of work where where that's sort of the 
the uh, the middle manager's duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a donity. So the Cubs and the Dodgers will play game five today, Thursday, if you're listening to this when we post it right away, and that'll be Kershaw Quintana. And then if necessary, they will go back to L.A. for six and seven. Kershaw sucks in the playoffs. <laughs> right, so, so they the, say. The Dodgers are definitely going to be game six on Saturday. Yeah, so... Any last thoughts about this series, or do you want to wrap up with a brief discussion of your managerial mistakes post? Um, no, I you know I think it's pretty clear that yeah we we devoted less yeah. time to this series, but uh, than we did to the Yankees series, but it's just been sort of less controversial. Right. There hasn't there been, hasn't been a there comeback. hasn't been a there momentum shift. Be... Yeah, and even you know <laughs> exactly. even when the Cubs started winning, it certainly doesn't feel to me like this is anything more than a momentary stay of execution. So. Yeah, Wade Davis is just getting totally strung out in, in this postseason. He is being pushed to pitch counts that I'm not sure he is really capable of I mean, anymore. I mean, he wasn't even getting used like this in the Royals days. No. When he was well, he didn't need to because they, they had more than right. one good reliever. But yes, I, I guess the only saving grace is he's getting rest between these long appearances. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. you get two or three days off. Mm-hmm. Maybe he could throw 45 pitches. You know, he sort of got bailed out with that game-ending double play uh, that prevented him from facing Turner a second time. But, uh, you know, he, he looked fine in the ninth. He actually looked better in the ninth than he did in the eighth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe this is – they're just comfortable throwing him out there. I mean, certainly Joe, or Joe Madden didn't anticipate that it would take Davis 17 pitches to record his first out. Right. But I'm a little bit surprised that they've gotten away with it as, as much as they have. Mm-hmm. All right. So your major piece, basically, we can just uh, a few minutes on it. The premise was essentially that managers are being asked to do something that they mostly haven't been asked to do before in the postseason. And some of them are adjusting to these scary new times and others are not so much. And often it's almost as much about how the manager responds to a decision or acts in the wake of a controversial decision as it is the decision itself. And there's been a a big difference in the way that we've seen, say, Joe Madden and Joe Girardi respond to mistakes in this postseason. Yeah, you know, the the premise is sort of that we've seen managers sort of make easy you know, I, I brought up the par- parallel to Andy Reid in the NFL where he does all the hard things right and just sort of botches some of the easy things that like your average fan can sort of, you know, sitting on on his or her couch can playing along, you know, make better decisions in these, these certain uh, circumstances. And, you know, bullpen management is a lot harder than it looks. It's not a matter of, you know, your relievers only get fatigued if they go into a game. It's not a matter of you can just bring in anybody for any situation. You have to think three or four batters ahead. And if you're mm-hmm. using Robbie Ray or Justin Verlander in relief, then you have to think eight or nine batters ahead. So, you know, you've got to be ready for all contingencies when you have a limited number of moves to make and that's it's a lot harder than it looks and it's never been more complicated than it is now after a period of there was just sort of you know you have your sixth inning guy your seventh inning guy your eighth inning guy and your closer and and it was just very rote for i don't know 25 30 years and that just all changed in the past couple years so Mm -hmm. yeah i think it Terry Francona made it look easier than it actually is last year by virtue of Andrew Miller being Andrew Miller and Cody Allen being Cody Allen and also getting ridiculous uh, managerial moves like starting Ryan Merritt uh, to work. Uh, You know, so it sort of ruined the curve for everybody. But, you know, we're seeing and I, you know, I think that the four managers left are four of the, you know, five or six best in baseball and they're still you know, making head scratching decisions, even though, you know, something like, you know, I talked about AJ Hinch and Verlander, you know, maybe him having more information, you know, he was making the the right decision instead of, of something that looked kind of reckless uh, on the outside. But it's, it's more difficult now than it's ever been in scrutiny. You know, I, I could probably get away with saying that scrutiny has never been greater on managers, but I don't know if that's true or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, But after it just seemed like we reached a point in the past, you know, maybe like five years ago where 
you could at least see the reasoning not only behind every front office move, but behind every managerial move. Mm-hmm. And we're we're sort of past that. And it, I just wonder if there's there's so much chaos, there's so many moving parts. You know, it's not even knowing which relievers you have, but you don't know which relievers are going to give you what. And it, you know, that's just got to be incredibly intimidating. And you mm-hmm. know, and sort of what I landed on is. Uh, is something like Joe Girardi, I think, made the biggest managerial mistake in the postseason yeah. in not challenging that that foul ball and or that uh, was originally called the hit by pitch. And you know what he did? He came, you know, he came out and owned it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I think that that humility sort of paradoxically, like you can't go out there and say, oh, you know, I don't know, this is hard because that just doesn't exactly inspire confidence. But there's a middle ground between. Yeah, acting like you've got all the answers and acting like you don't know what you're doing. And I think that that's important to building trust, not only uh, with the fans and with the media, but within your own clubhouse. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that Girardi's approach of, you know, he's been forthright and self-deprecating about the the challenges that that the Yankees have faced and the mistakes that he's made. And, you know, I think it makes it it gives an outside observer not only a trust in him that he is doing the best that he possibly can but it gives you an appreciation for how difficult the job is mm-hmm. you know it's and it's not a difficult looking job if you you know want to be uncharitable about it you know, it's he's just sitting there with his binder you know pushing buttons but you know knowing which button to push hasn't been harder it hasn't been this hard in a very long time yeah i mean managers are certainly getting more guidance from above and instructions and assistance from above than they have at points in the past if anything but maybe the, that's made things more complicated for them yeah i, I would say it's made things more complicated because it's just there's just so many more inputs mm-hmm. and now the standards are so high and yeah. now like he looked good in his bullpen session or I just had a good feeling about him, which was a, a good enough answer for a hundred years. Very much isn't now like you need, you need something or, you know, this guy, he was two for four against this, against this pitcher. You know, I'm starting Kyle farmer because he was two for four against Quintana. Well, I'm sure farmer hasn't actually faced Quintana four times, but you, you know, you know what I mean? That was good enough for a hundred years and it isn't now. Mm-hmm. And so as you have more tools, what you're expected to know and what you're expected to implement on a, you know, it's a very fluid, very pitch by pitch, uh, you know, situation is like the standards have gotten really high. Yeah. No, the game has changed pretty dramatically even since say Girardi's first year as a manager in 2006. I mean, that was pre, you know, the input that teams would get from their front offices for the most part. And, and pre yeah. iPads in the dugouts. Yes. And, and so pre yeah. replay review, which now places the burden on the manager to Actually, identify it wasn't re- a, a pre replay review. There was a home run overturned uh, in that world series as well. Mm, okay. Well, I guess that yeah, I mean, was, it was all in the nascent or nascent, nascent, nascent yeah. stages. Well, I'm talking about going back to 2006 when he started with the Marlins, at least. Oh, okay. But yeah. yeah, at that point, and and I mean, you know, as you mentioned, the the great change in pitcher usage in the postseason really just that inflection point was last year, and so yeah, now we're seeing essentially two totally different strategies of how to manage a game in the regular season, the postseason, and not everyone has been conditioned or groomed or selected for that. So I always think of it as like the unforced error that just drives fans crazy, whether it's something like... And there have been a few of those. Or yeah, at least definitely. Decisions that look like those, you know, maybe there's some extenuating circumstances, an injury, a matchup problem, a lack of faith mm-hmm. that... Yeah, you know that would explain it that you can't really get to get into in public. Yeah, you know, I think that there's definitely that like that's a, more common than we probably give it credit. Yeah, for, there's but. definitely like a tip of the iceberg is the only visible part situation here where a just with the in-game tactical moves there might be considerations we aren't aware of, and b there's so much more to the job beyond the tactical moves. So you'd rather have the manager be good probably at the stuff that we don't see for three or at this point three and a half or four hours a night than you would at just that stuff and and bad at everything else that happens behind the scenes. But that stuff is the most visible. And so if it's just something like batting a bad hitter in your number two slot or something like that, it just feels like 
you're giving away runs for no reason. And ultimately, it's probably not going to cost you a game. It's not going to matter that much. The wrong decision might lead to a good result, but it just drives you crazy when your manager does that sort of thing. And that will probably always be the case. But yeah, I think I don't know whether managers are criticized more than they used to be, but the criticism is more instantaneous and easily publicized and on a national level now than ever before. Thanks to Twitter, at least. So it's tough out there. I I think this is another area where the game is changing so fast that like, if you're that, if you're an analyst of any kind, you, you can sort of tell on yourself by, by which moves you criticize. Mm. And you know, that like, you know, if your thinking is stuck in 2014, that's outdated, let alone, yeah. you know, 2002. So it's, you know, like you got to if if you're going to, you know, analyze baseball seriously, professionally or, you know, just sort of chatting on the Internet, like the, the standard of knowledge is, is going up for for people like us, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to go to our continuing baseball education courses. Stop learning. <laughs> yeah. It makes our job hard. All right. So we will learn a lot over the next few days and we'll be back. We'll be talking probably very late Sunday night at some point if recent history holds. But the next time that we podcast, we will know what the World Series matchup is. So we'll be able to talk about a game seven in the in the National League. Well, yeah, we might know before before then. We'll we'll see. So this next pod will be I envy, by the way, I envy. uh uh, like NBA types, because like there's there there are gaps in the in the coverage. Yeah. Like we've had to deal with, uh, you know, every series has a game almost every night, mm-hmm. and so like our podcasts are sometimes out of date. Right. You know, we're we're previewing games that are in the fourth inning by the time it gets up, mm-hmm. but we'll have at least one 24 hour <laughs> period from when it yes. from when it runs to to when the next game starts so i'm pretty excited about that. all right so one way or another next time we talk we'll be able to close the book on the championship series and open the book on our world series preview Bring back heidi Klum. yes that's right all right so you have been listening to the ringer mlb show part of the ringer podcast network 